0: thank you for joining us today we'll continue our study of the epistle to the Hebrews we'll be discussing why Jesus became incarnate so he could save us and now intercede for us so if you'll open your Bibles up to the book of Hebrews chapter 2 we'll begin our lesson why don't I open us up in prayer our Father in heaven I thank you for this day I thank you for your word as we continue our study of Hebrews and just see what an awesome God you are and the love that you and Jesus have for us. What Jesus did for us is just incredible. We're so thankful for him paying the debt that we couldn't pay. And Father, as we study Hebrews this morning, I just ask that you speak through me, speak through others who speak up, just guide our discussion, open our hearts to hear what we need to hear so that we can represent you here in this crazy world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so where we left off last time, we started Hebrews. We completed chapter 1 last time. And just to refresh your memory, what we were talking about, remember this is a letter to the Hebrews, and the writer of the Hebrews was comparing Jesus to angels and pointing out that Jesus is superior to the angels. Because remember, Jewish people thought nobody could get any closer to God than angels were. And he was describing that, no, Jesus is actually even superior to angels because he is God and created all things. So that's where we left off. All right. Now when we begin chapter 2, the first four verses, most commentators that I read say that these first four verses are really for non-believers who have heard the gospel. They have all the facts, but they're unwilling to commit to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. We have many people like that in our churches today. It may be that they fear persecution or rejection from their families. That can be a reason. Or they just want to continue to believe what they've been taught. I see that a lot. It's like, how can I go against generations who believed XYZ to now believe what you're telling me? That's not what I was taught. Let me just show you one verse real quick. I'm going to go over to John 5. And I'll begin in verse 38. It says, and this is Jesus talking, and he's talking to the Jewish religious leaders, and he says, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. What Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about biblical leaders, religious leaders, biblical scholars. They didn't even understand the scriptures. They liked to appear before men like they were scholars and reading the Bible and were religious, doing all this religious stuff, but they rejected Christ even though the Old Testament told of his coming. They refused to believe they wanted to do it their own way. They wanted to do it their way rather than find salvation through the free gift that can only come through Jesus Christ. Most commentators say these are the people that they've heard everything, but they're rejecting it. Although there are some commentators I saw that said it could also be talking to believers who are just kind of sliding through life, just kind of coasting through. They're not being obedient to God. They don't really have an appreciation for what Jesus Christ has really done for them. And it's a warning to those to just keep on learning more and more about Christ, just like Paul continued to do. Let me show you a couple of verses on that. And really, we're going to see the writer of the Hebrews is saying, don't get pulled off course. I'll go over there. It's just a couple of verses. Philippians 3.10. And this is Paul speaking. It says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And then I'll skip down to verse 13. It says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. That means he's not perfect yet. He's not Christ-like yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching towards what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, here's Paul the Apostle, and he had been with Jesus, yet he kept striving, pushing on to even further his growth in his relationship with Jesus Christ. So with that background, let me go ahead and start in here. Chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the writer here is saying, and remember, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. I've discussed that last time. That's why I keep saying the writer of the Hebrews. But he's saying, therefore, based on what he discussed in chapter 1, we should pay close attention to what we've heard so we don't fall away. This is a warning against drifting away from the gospel of Christ. Like I said, this is probably people who had heard the gospel but hadn't personally committed to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior alone, as the only way to have their salvation. But I think he's also telling us as Christians to pay attention, act on God's word, don't just let it slide. And this would be for non-believers. Don't drift past that safe harbor that Jesus has provided to provide salvation and keep us away from eternal destruction, meaning eternal separation from God. Verse 2, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, so he's saying the law which was given by angels required severe punishment for disobedience, Even stoning, we saw. When you sinned, you had to repay, just like the angels gave the law to Moses. So much more should we then heed the words of Christ, because what we read in chapter 1 about the superiority of Christ, and the penalty for sin is death. In verse 3, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Let me unpack this a little bit. If you hear the gospel and you reject it, then you're even going to receive greater punishment. Now, I feel like it doesn't matter which floor I am on in hell. If you're separated from God, it's going to be bad. But the Bible does clearly teach, just like in heaven, there's different rewards and responsibilities that we will have. In hell, there are different levels of punishment that you will receive, and we talked about that a few lessons ago. This is saying that it was first spoken through Jesus to the apostles, and the writer says, and then it was confirmed to us by those who heard. It was confirmed by the apostles and other disciples who walked with Jesus. So here, I think, I know last time we talked about who wrote this, the writer here, a appears to say they didn't walk with Christ while Christ was here. Jesus spoke directly to Paul. So it appears that Paul is not the writer of the Hebrews because this verse here appears to place the writer outside the group of apostles. You see that? It says that it was confirmed to us by those who heard from Jesus. Verse 4, God also bearing witness with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So the apostles and even Jesus confirmed that he was God himself by the miracles that he did, and then he gave the apostles the ability to do miracles and healings and what have you to authenticate the truth that they were proclaiming. Now that type of confirming miracle, confirming spiritual gift is no longer needed because now we have the full canon of the Bible. So we don't need to have those types of confirming healing and other types of miracles that we saw with the apostles because now we have the canon of Scripture. In verse 5 it says, For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. Okay, so what's he talking about here? He's saying that God does not intend for angels to rule in the world to come. And we talked about that last time. You see in verse 14 of chapter 1, are they not all ministering spirits, talking about the angels sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So angels will minister to us in heaven. And we're going to see this develop in the coming verses. The writer is going to be talking about, and of course this is scripture, this is God talking to us, that man is lower than the angels in this, because we have a physical body. We're limited by that. We're both created. Angels are created humans are created. Right now we're bogged down with our physical bodies, but at some point when we die as believers and then we go to heaven and we have our heavenly bodies and we'll be reigning with Jesus Christ, then we will actually be higher than the angels. So angels are temporarily higher than us, but eventually they will be serving us. That's what is going to be developed a little bit here in these coming verses. So that's why he's saying, you see, he did not subject to angels the world to come. Angels' superiority to man is just temporary right now. But right now, Satan and all the rest of his fallen angels are in a big conflict with the holy angels. That is going on right now, big time. Let me show you a verse on that. First John 5.19 is just one verse. I'll go over there real quick. First John 5.19, it says... We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's Satan. So what's going on in this world? You know, sometimes, in fact, on the men's retreat this past weekend, we were talking about it. The craziness in the world and how people are taking positions and arguing about things and doing the craziest things that if you try to approach them with facts and truth, it makes no sense, even what they're thinking. That's because this world is being ruled by Satan right now. I mean, you can't talk to these people with truth or don't try to argue from facts or reality. They got their own, I don't know where they're coming up with this stuff. When you see people acting like that, just realize that Satan has their minds so twisted you can't approach them with truth. They just can't comprehend truth. So let's keep reading here and you'll see how this is going to develop. It says, but one has testified somewhere. Okay, (laughs) this is kind of funny. This is not saying that this writer doesn't have any idea where Scripture has come from. That's not what he's saying. He's really just trying to emphasize that what he's about to say came from God through the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be referring to some Old Testament Scripture. He's going to quote various Scriptures. First, he's going to begin with Psalm 8. We know David wrote that but it isn't David talking. This is God talking. That's what he's referring to here. So he begins, What is man that thou rememberest him? Or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Man lost his crown and kingdom when Adam sinned in Genesis 3. This is talking right here about Jesus, although some biblical commentators that I really respect and we're going to see It's going to begin talking about Jesus, but it's also going to be talking about humans and how we will then reign with Jesus. And you'll see that developed as we read. Right now, as I said, we're lower than angels, but eventually we'll reign with Christ. And I'll show you some more verses on that. It says, Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. So Christ became man, and we're going to see some more verses on this as we read. But he had to do that in order to take on our sin. He became man. That's not natural for him. He's God. But he took on the humanity of man, and at that time, by doing that, he became a little lower than the angels. You see what I'm saying? That's what the writer is saying. But it is temporary, but he had to do that in order to take on our sins. And it says, Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Again, that's from the 8th Psalm. And hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. So a day is coming when there isn't going to be any more sin, no more politics, no more fake media, no more lying, no more death. And the dominion that God gave to Adam is going to be restored. That's what this is talking about. In verse 8, it says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. So Christ became man, took on our sins, was a little lower than angels at that point, but then he arose and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, our sins will never be brought up against us as Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me show you this is just one of the coolest verses i know I say that about a lot of them Larry, I didn't realize Jesus was lower than the angels while he was here He's lower than the angels as he took on our sin in human form, okay That's what he's saying. He's still God, but he had to become man, and we're lower than the angels temporarily. He had to take on that attribute, that nature so that he could pay the debt that we couldn't pay. You see what I'm saying? And if you go over, you don't have to go there, but I love this. This is Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And what's amazing, this was written way before anybody believed the earth was round. But this only works with a round earth, a globe, because if you think about it, If you go from east to west or west to east, it's infinite. You can't ever get there. That's how far removed our sins are once we become a Christian. God doesn't see our sin. That's how far away it is. He doesn't see our sin anymore. It doesn't say from north to south or south to north because if you start out going north, eventually you're going to go south. And if you start out going south, eventually you're going to go north. But east or west, doesn't matter which way you start, you'll never get to the other side you start out east, you'll keep going east forever. If you start out west, you'll keep going west forever. That's infinite. Isn't that cool? It's in the 103rd Psalm. 103rd Psalm verse 12. I love it. How cool is that? Gee, I guess God knew the earth was round back then. That is cool. And Matthew 6.1 also says that when we do good deeds that glorify God, and again, it's not us, it's the Holy Spirit working through us, but we allow that to happen, that will be rewarded in heaven. The key is what is our motivation? Because the motivation of our good deeds will be reviewed when we're standing before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes we do good things. We might give to a charity, for instance, but we want our name up in that top tier as being the, one of the top givers. Well, we had our reward right there. That's what the Bible says. We did a good thing, but we did it with the wrong motivation. We did it to bring glory to ourselves. So that's what will be reviewed when we're standing before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, here's where this is going to bring more clarification to you. But those of you who maybe have other translations, this won't be as clear. I'm reading out of the New American Standard, which is a more direct translation so in this next verse, the next part of verse 8, the him is not capitalized. In my Bible, whenever it's talking about God or Jesus, the pronouns have a capital. Okay? So you know it's talking about Jesus or God, which I think is much easier to read. For instance, those of you in the NIV, it never capitalizes him or he or any so it, you can get lost. What's interesting is in this next two sentences, the him is lowercase and the reason for that is it's talking about us it's talking about humans to him it says for in subjecting all things to him meaning us as humans he left nothing that is not subject to him but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him so you can read that as man so right now man is lower than the angels they're spiritual and we're physical But one day, as I said, all Christians will reign with Christ and angels will minister to us. And so, man, right now, with this lower case, we're lower than angels. When we get to heaven and have our heavenly bodies and we're reigning with Christ, then the angels are going to be ministering to us. That's what this is talking about. And let me give you some additional verses so you don't think Larry's lost his mind. I'm going to go to Daniel 7 first. got a bunch of verses I'll just give you a few. I'll give you some Old Testament and New Testament. I'm going to go to Daniel 7 first. And I'm going to go to Daniel 7, verse 18. And it says, But the saints of the highest one, so that's believers, will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. And then I drop down to verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints, of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. And then, just to kind of tie it all together, let me take you over to Revelation 3.21. I'll go over there. It's just one verse. I'll read it for us. Revelation 3.21 says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So that's Jesus promising that to us. And then, let's see, I think I got one more I wanted to show you, even though I got others. Ephesians 1.20 says So that's the body of believers. Jesus is head of the church, but he will assume and become head of all creation at the second coming, and we will reign with him. Okay, let me give you a couple of other points here. In order for man to regain the dominion over creation that we lost when Adam sinned and fell, which then caused the curse that we see in Genesis 3, the penalty for sin, for Adam's sin and for our sin, had to be paid. And so Christ came to pay that debt for believers. I'll give you a couple of verses on that. I'm going to go over Romans 6, and I'll begin in verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is freed from sin." Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Where it says consider, that means count yourself, regard yourself, Claim for yourself that God the Father has credited us with the righteousness of Christ. It's a done deal. We're born again. It's done. And then let me show you one other one. I'll go back to Revelation 5. I'm sorry I'm jumping around quite a bit, but I think it's necessary to get a better understanding of this scripture today. I'll begin in verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So these are the prayers of the believers for the coming kingdom. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou'st made them to be a kingdom and the priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. That's all of us. This is the earthly reign of Christ and us as believers reigning with him. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them were myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And so we'll be reigning with him. This whole concept of Christ dying for our sins, that was a stumbling block for the Jews because they're looking for a conquering king. To them, they just couldn't envision the king that they're looking for to rid the tyranny that they were suffering under Rome. How in the world could God be in this Messiah that was then going to die and be hung on a cross? They just could not comprehend that at all because they didn't see that they needed a Savior. They didn't see that they had sin that they couldn't pay the debt for.
1: Hey,
0: Larry, all that stuff is in the Old Testament, though, right? It is. It is, but it's a little, I have to say, it's a lot easier for us on this side of the cross to go back and say, oh, yeah, look, this is so clear. There's going to be a new kingdom. That's clear. And that's what we're still waiting for. And that comes at Christ's return. And that's what they're looking for. But they didn't see, you know, this temporary offering of animal sacrifices and what have you. That wasn't cleansing them. That was just a temporary thing that God allowed to happen at that time. But they still had sin. And then they became so focused on doing all this stuff and having an outward view of righteousness that they didn't even see their own sin anymore. Look, I'll tell you, we're in a much better position to be able to understand God's plan to redeem us. Clearly, there were people who were saved in the Old Testament. They could get there. But I'm certainly glad for myself that it's a lot easier for me to look back and say, sure, I can understand God's plan because I can see the whole thing play out. And they were looking forward to the Messiah, but they were then more focused, most of them, on a conquering Messiah to get rid of Rome. And then the earth at that time would become reigned and ruled by the Messiah. You see? So they just missed it. Aren't you still looking for the conquering king? They still are, yes and I've had Jews that I've given the gospel to, and they've said, Larry, we're both looking for the same Messiah. You're looking for him the second time. I'm looking for him the first time. You yourself say God's a loving God. That's why he sent the Messiah. So he'll give me a pass. If I missed him the first time, and I'm going, you got any scripture on that? Love to see it, because that's not what the scripture says. Yeah, they're still looking for him. But going back to this concept of Christ being made lower than the angels, he was made lower just for a little while to pay for our debt. He became man so that he could die. This is God's ultimate plan to redeem us. And it's really God's ultimate gift to give his son to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. We have sin. There's got to be payment for that sin. And so Jesus became man so that he could then pay the debt that we couldn't pay. Let's read the verses, and this will even become more clear to you, I think. Verse 9, it says, But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. You see that? That's what we've been saying. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus had to become man. Angels can't die, okay? They can't save us. And Jesus didn't come to save the angels. He came to save man. And so he had to become man. And then he was resurrected to sit at the right hand of God the Father. We saw that in Mark 16, 19. I keep saying it. Let me show you where that comes from. I hate saying things that I don't show you where I get it out of Scripture. Mark 16, 19 says... So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, this is after he had been resurrected, but before he ascended to heaven, that's what this reference is to. So then when the Lord had spoken to them, he spoke to over 500 people, remember after his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven. He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That's the highest place of honor and authority. His earthly mission had been completed at that time. And if his sacrifice to pay the debt for our sins, who place our faith in Jesus to save us, if that sacrifice had not been acceptable to God, God would not would have allowed Jesus to come back and sit next to him at his right hand. So that proved that his sacrifice was acceptable to God the Father. Now our responsibility is to receive the gift. We don't contribute anything to it. And then Jesus told us to go preach the word, make disciples. That's our responsibility now. Okay, I'm going back over to Hebrews. Hey, Larry, just real quick. Is there any reference in the Bible to a reason why some people believe when their friend or luck one dies, oh, they're going to be an angel in heaven? I know biblically it doesn't seem like, I mean, I know that's not true. They don't become angels, but is that just folklore that people think that? Yeah, I think probably comes from the belief that goes all the way back to the Jews, believing that no one's closer to God than the angels. Yeah, we don't become angels. There's no verses that say we become angels. That's a totally different created being than us. I've even showed you today as well as last week that angels are a different being. They minister to us now and protect us. And then they will be ministering to us later when we're reigning with Christ, but we don't become angels. That's a good question. We see in verse 9 where it says, he might taste death for everyone. So that's where Jesus died in our place. He's our substitute. And this everyone, this isn't universalism. This is everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior so that we can be saved from eternal separation from God. Verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom all things and through whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. This is actually saying it's through Jesus who created all things, Jesus who was guilty of no sin, yet he suffered for our sin willingly. It wasn't like the Romans killed him. It wasn't like the Jews captured him after he was betrayed let me show you John 10:19. He did this willingly. He's such a loving God. He did this willingly to provide a pathway for anyone who would believe so that they could have eternal life. John 10, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So Jesus willingly gave his life and laid it down for us. He's the author of our salvation. He did that, and he is our Savior and our Redeemer for those who place our faith in him alone for our salvation. And he did this, it says, to perfect the author of their salvation. It was to accomplish what God the Father planned through the life of Jesus when he became incarnate. Jesus' work was completed on earth, and then he went and sat at the right hand of the Father as we saw. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Sanctified, let me clarify that. That means set aside for God's purposes. And he sanctifies, we're being sanctified. It's a process that we're going through once we become Christians to become more Christ-like. But it's also a done deal. We can see the word used in both. Let me show you a couple of places. It's like we are already sanctified. God views us as it's a completed, done deal. But we know we still sin. So while we're in this life, the process continues. As we said, Jesus took on our nature. But that's not what makes us brothers, by the way. Jesus never called anyone a brother until after his death, burial, and resurrection. Because then he had paid the debt for our sins to enable us to become his brother. That's also in John 20, verse 17. I'll go over and show you that. And I need to speed things up a little bit so we can finish. This is Jesus after he had resurrected. And he then appeared before Mary Magdalene. And he says to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend my Father and your Father and my God and your God. So that's when he started referring to us as brethren. Hebrews 10.10, which we'll get to soon. This is the sanctification. It says, by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So see, while it's an ongoing, it's, it's kind of like it's being done, yet it's already done. God sees it as already completed okay I could show you some well let's see it says in verse 14 of Hebrews 10 for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified in God's eyes it's already done okay verse 12 it says and he's going to refer to some Old Testament scripture here I will proclaim thy name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation I will sing thy praise and again I will put my trust in him and again Behold, I and the children whom God has given me. God's now happy to be our God. He's not ashamed to call us his as Christians. And just as Jesus was persecuted as the Messiah, we should expect that we'll also be persecuted. But Jesus, even through his persecution, continued to trust God the Father. And when we put our trust in Christ, we are Jesus's brother and God's children And we're to follow the path of Jesus that he showed us and just trust in God, even when we have difficulties, just believe that Jesus is going to get us through whatever our difficulty is. Verse 14, since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus took on flesh and blood. That wasn't natural for him but he took on our nature so he could become our substitute for our sin and when he came he didn't destroy Satan but he rendered Satan's power of death he rendered that powerless over us that's how Christ could rise from the dead to the right hand of the father he conquered death Satan's primary power over man is death it's our sin that gives Satan power over us to destroy us In order to destroy Satan, Jesus had to rob Satan of his power of death over us due to our sin. Our physical, spiritual, and eternal death, which we deserve due to our sin, by Christ becoming man and then conquering death and paying the debt for our sins, he renders Satan powerless to us in terms of destroying us in our eternal life. If a man dies without placing faith in Jesus Christ... If he didn't believe, then his opportunity for salvation is gone. But by dying and then rising again, Jesus destroyed the power of death for anyone who will believe, and we are assured of our eternal life. Verse 15, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So we don't have to fear death. Death is the entryway into presence with God, death is the door that we have to go through to get to heaven and be in the presence of God, and we should look forward to it. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the seed of Abraham. Who are the seed of Abraham? Galatians 3.29. It's anyone, I'll, I'll go over there and read it to you so you know who that is. We looked at that before, but we are considered the seed of Abraham when we believe. We are his spiritual seed. Galatians 3, 29 says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So Gentiles who have faith are considered the spiritual seed of Abraham. And he's also talking about Jewish believers who come to faith. He's saying here, Jesus didn't come to redeem the angels, he came for man. This give help to the angels, maybe an easier way for us to understand that might be to say That he didn't take on the nature of angels, he took on the nature of man. He didn't come to help save angels, he came, he took on our flesh to save us. Verse 17 Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation means to satisfy the penalty for our sins. And as I said, God the Father is satisfied with that. And that's God's grace. He is satisfied with the work that Jesus Christ, his son, did. It's Jesus who can sympathize with us. He can intercede for us because he understands. He bore our sins. He went through everything we go through. We'll see over in Hebrews 4.15, when we get over there, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we, yet without sin. So it's Jesus who intercedes for us. Why some of these other religions pray to Mary, the mother of God, to intercede for them, pray to St. Paul, St. Peter. They pray to all these dead people. And there's no verses in the Bible that say pray to dead saints or pray to your mother, your dead mother, your dead father or grandfather or grandmother. No, it's Jesus Christ is the interceder for us. And he's able to do that because he bore our sin. He suffered all things. He understands our suffering. Verse 18, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And so he was tempted just like us even more. So he can help us. So let me summarize this. I know I went a little long to cover this today. Jesus is our Savior as Christians, our substitute. He's the author of our salvation, our sanctifier who makes us holy. He conquered Satan for us. He's our sympathizer, our intercessor. Just what an amazing and loving God that we truly have that he would do that. And so we should be thankful and thank him all the time for what he did for us and he did it freely and willingly we contribute nothing for our faith and salvation all we can do is accept his free gift of faith and salvation and acknowledge that we're sinners and couldn't do it on our own and have nothing to contribute to it second point is we should listen to jesus we should read the bible so many people want to try to do it their own way But it's clear that there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. Those who hear the gospel and reject it, they're going to receive the harshest of all penalties. It does have eternal consequences. Jesus' own temptation and suffering equipped him to be able to help us and intercede for us. So pray to Jesus to help us when you're having issues or problems or difficulties. Call on him. And finally, we shouldn't fear death or anything else. Everybody's going to die. And if anything, that's the doorway to get to be with him, not physically, but we will have new bodies, but we'll be right there with him. Everybody's got to go through that doorway to get there. So what questions or comments might you have? I've got one in that the tenses of the verbs, a lot of times I start glossing over, and then suddenly they jump out at me, and then I start looking around, and the verb tenses are just so powerful, the very last verse... Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's like now they're speaking to us. That's correct. It just jumps off the page to me sometimes when I finally catch it. Yep, it's an amazing book, isn't it? And talking about temptation, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: No temptation has ever overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. He's there to intercede for us, to help us, to give us the exit ramp when we are being tempted, and even keeps a governor on the temptation. We could be tempted a whole lot more than we even are. He won't allow us to be tempted greater than what we are able to overcome. Pretty amazing. And why do we continue to submit to temptation? <laughs> That's our flesh. We want to do our thing rather than obey God and submit to God. We want to do, at the moment, seems pleasing to us. That's why. But there's an exit ramp there. And I've said this before. Most of us probably, if I were to ask, where do you typically see yourself falling to temptation? Most people can probably say, yep, this gets me from time to time. It's this right here. And I could even ask you, well, when does that normally happen? What are the circumstances? You know, is it a place that you're near or is it a certain time of day or what are the circumstances? You can probably describe that. So if you know what it is and you kind of know what the circumstances are, when you see that coming, you know it's coming. And what I have found that helps me is I just say, Holy Spirit, here it comes. And I'm going to really want to do this. But I'm going to ask you, get me on the exit ramp. I need help. I need your help. Don't let me fall to this temptation. I need your help. And sure enough, it works for me. Like, there'll be some distraction. If the phone will ring, I'll get distracted somehow, and it won't happen. So try that sometime because the exit ramp's there. If you're a recovering alcoholic, don't wander into a bar. That's it. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.